welcome back to From Heaven to Eternity, my podcast. I'm Brian, and today we're starting chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. If you haven't been following along, we're currently going chapter by chapter through this book. Because of the way chapters 13 and 14 lay out, we'll cover the first 52 verses in Matthew 13 today, and then we'll add the last six to chapter 14 in next episode. This chapter is the first major parable section we find in Matthew. Almost half of the parables of Jesus that Matthew records are found in this teaching section. Parables can be confusing or complex, but Jesus uses them to reveal truths about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom that Jesus himself ushers in. He has spoken with authority on God's word, God's law, and what being a disciple looks like. In the parables, Jesus speaks with authority on what God's kingdom looks like and on the value associated with kingdom membership through faith in Jesus. If these parables are describing the kingdom of heaven, the initial unasked question is, what is the kingdom of heaven actually like? We might think of the kingdom of heaven as this great and awesome spectacle, kind of like the New Jerusalem is described in the book of Revelation. Jesus absolutely articulates the kingdom of heaven in grand and rich language, a hidden treasure and a great pearl. But Jesus also makes some statements that would have been attention grabbers to the original audience. Sometimes we don't notice because we're familiar with the full parables, but just listen to a few of these opening lines. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea. At face value, those don't sound like images associated with an everlasting and eternal kingdom, right? Vern Poitras calls these unpromising beginnings. What Jesus does is he takes those statements and he grows them into these brilliant pictures of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is smaller than all seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs, and it becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in its branches. Like, it, it isn't what the audience is expecting at first, but it becomes an image that makes you think, yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense that the kingdom of God might start small but grow into the greatest kingdom and become a place of rest for all who seek refuge there. I can picture that imagery. In a way, that makes Jesus' parables go right along with Jesus' entire ministry. They are surprising and they don't always look like what people expected them to look like. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The parables are stories by Jesus, while Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are actual historical facts. I am not comparing them as historical events. All I am saying is that sometimes the parables start out with these descriptions of the kingdom that are misunderstood or not heard because they might have looked different than what people wanted them to look like, in particular the Jewish leadership, and that's not unlike the ministry of Jesus himself. Most Israelites wanted the Messiah to come on the scene, command a grand Jewish army, overthrow the Romans, and then usher in a new kingdom. Jesus, the true Messiah, comes on the scene as this unassuming guy from Galilee. Sure, he speaks with authority and he performs miracles, but he doesn't overthrow the Roman government or promise a Jewish revolution. Instead, he is actually put to death by the Roman rulers and the Jewish elite. The everlasting king executes absolute authority, by first displaying absolute obedience to God the Father, 
and then the absolute humility of being put to death by sinful men. Chapter 13 is organized in a way that is interesting to explain without jumping around some. For instance, Jesus provides the parable of the sower in verses 3 through 9, but then he explains it in verses 18 through 23. The same thing happens with the parable of the weeds, where the parable itself and Jesus' explanation of the parable are separated by seemingly unrelated dialogue. I say seemingly because in between each of those parables and their explanations, are a few verses that describe the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus speaking in parables and explaining the people who don't understand them. I'm actually going to start there, with the purpose and prophetic fulfillment of Jesus speaking in parables. If you have your Bible open, I'm referencing Matthew 13 verses 10 through 17 and also verses 34 and 35. Throughout Matthew, we have seen a stark choice emerge, turn toward Jesus or turn away from Jesus toward something else. These are the only two options. Through his parables, Jesus continues to outline the difference between those who see, hear, and understand, and then follow Jesus, and those who don't. Jesus makes it clear in verses 10 through 17 that some people will hear and see but not understand. In fact, Jesus even points out that the Old Testament made it very clear that people, even Israelites, would harden their hearts toward God's message. I want to underline in these verses, as with previous verses in Matthew, that there is a dichotomy between these truths being divinely revealed in the hearts of men and the individual's personal response to these truths. Jesus clearly tells the disciples, To you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but it is not given to them. The Greek word for given carries this connotation of offering or bestowing something upon a person. It is the language of a gift that comes from someone that has been graciously offered. Verses 14 and 15 describe that the reaction actually fulfills a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. The people's unwillingness to accept what they saw and heard was preventing them from turning and healing. Matthew 13 verses 14 and 15. In them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, By hearing you will hear and will in no way understand, seeing you will see and will in no way perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous, their ears are dull of hearing, they have closed their eyes, or else perhaps they might perceive with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should turn again, and I would heal them. To those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, Jesus' parables are a blessing that reveals more about who he is and what his kingdom is like. For those who have closed their eyes and ears, Jesus' parables continue to conceal the truth of God's kingdom. Jesus reveals this hidden kingdom to his disciples then and also to his disciples today. The second section of verses speaking to the purpose and prophetic fulfillment of Jesus' parables are verses 34 and 35. Matthew 13, 34 and 35 say, Jesus spoke all these things in parables to the multitudes, and without a parable he didn't speak to them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through the prophets, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden from the foundation of the world. 
These verses describe Jesus speaking in parables as a fulfillment of Psalm 78, which begins, Hear my teaching, my people, turn your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. The rest of the psalm goes on to describe the amazing things that God did for the Israelite people and the continued rejection of God by the Israelite people. From the Exodus to the time of King David, the psalmist speaks the praises of God's wondrous works, only to remind the Israelites of their response. Psalm 78 verses 32, 36, and 37 pretty well sum it up. They say, For all this they still sinned and didn't believe in his wondrous works. But they flattered him with their mouth and lied to him with their tongue. For their heart was not right with him, neither were they faithful to his covenant. No matter what God did, the people kept turning away from him, whether through God hardening their hearts or them hardening their own hearts. Jesus' parables remind us that no matter what Jesus did or said, some people are going to run from him. People of Jesus' day saw the miracles he performed and heard the message he proclaimed firsthand, yet they did not all accept who Jesus was. What was true then is still true today. Faith in Jesus doesn't come through seeing or hearing about Jesus. It comes through accepting who Jesus is and what he has done to redeem us. As disciples, we can present gospel truth to the lost, but only God can sow and grow good seed. So there are eight specific parables in this chapter. The parables of the sower, the weeds, the mustard seed, the leaven, the hidden treasure, the pearl, the net, and the homeowner. For time's sake, I'll only touch on each at a fairly high level. So, in verses 3 through 9, Jesus delivers the parable of the sower, also noted as the parable of the soil. Verses 3 through 9 are, He spoke to them many things in parables, saying, Behold, a farmer went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell by the roadside, and the birds came and devoured them. Others fell on a rocky ground. There they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of earth. When the sun had risen, they were scorched. Because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. Others fell on good soil and yielded fruit. Some one hundred times as much, some sixty and some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then in verses 18 through 23, Jesus explains the parable to those who would hear it. The first kind of people are people who hear about the kingdom, don't understand it, and don't let it take root at all. They are the ones that can be snatched away by the evil one quickly. People who hear God's word make quick and immediate emotional responses to it, but don't allow it to establish any roots, are the second kind of people. They are the ones at risk of being a plant trying to grow on a rocky ground. It may start to sprout, but because there isn't enough soil to take root, it doesn't have the ability to withstand any adverse conditions. Jesus says that when oppression or persecution arises because of the word, immediately this kind of person is going to stumble. Jesus goes on to say, that what was sown among the thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of this age and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. That's the third person. The fourth person, the last group, are those who hear the word and understand it with more than just their ears and their heads. 
these people that accept God's word for what it is, who accept Jesus for who he is, they are the people who will bear fruit and who will multiply their harvest a hundred times, sixty times, thirty times over. If you look at the overall responses to God's word in this parable, Jesus presents four face-level reactions. No positive reaction at all. The message just stays on the surface. A purely momentary and emotional reaction, where a person might get caught up in the situation and respond, but where that person never moves beyond that initial display. God's word never sinks in more than just the superficial level. A worldly response is also described, where someone might hear the word, but then run headfast the other direction, toward pride and possessions. For followers of the podcast, this line will sound familiar, but they get caught up in the hevel of this world. The last response is to hear, understand, and be transformed by God's word in a way that can't help but produce good fruit. And what's amazing is that the fruit is produced in miraculous amounts, amounts that can only be attributed to God. These might come off as four different reactions, but notice, they are really still only two specific responses. Those who believe, follow Jesus, persevere, and are saved, or those who never honestly follow Jesus, who never really believed, and who are not saved. Next up is the parable of the weeds, or the parable of the wheat and the weeds, as it's sometimes referred to. This parable is outlined in verses 24 through 30. Those verses are, He set another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people slept, his enemy came and sowed darnel weeds also among the wheat, and it went away. But when the blade sprang up and brought forth fruit, then the darnel weeds appeared also. The servants of the householder came and said to him, Sir, don't, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where is this darnel coming from? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest perhaps while you gather up the darnel weeds, you root up the wheat with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And in the harvest time, I will tell the reapers first to gather up the darnel weeds and bind them in bundles and burn them. Then gather up the wheat into my barn. As with the parable of the sower, Jesus is kind enough to explain his parable in verses 37 through 43. Those verses are, he answered them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the children of the kingdom. And the darnel weeds are the children of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. As therefore the darnel weeds are gathered up and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that cause stumbling and those who do iniquity, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The specific weeds here are darnel weeds, which are often indistinguishable from wheat at first glance. 
Some translations just say weeds, and that's fine. But just know that the image Jesus is providing is of two very similar looking plants. Don't picture crabgrass growing in the middle of your tulip garden. The appearances aren't that cut and dry. Nevertheless, one of these crops is fruitful. Truly trusting in Jesus, these crops are saved and they will be part of the people who partake in an eternity in the presence of God. The other one might look or show a certain way, but it isn't fruitful. This crop will be separated from the fruitful crop when the harvest comes, and members of this group will suffer an eternity apart from God. Some have argued that the weeds might be talking about false teachers or other people who claim to be believers in name only. I don't think Jesus is speaking here in those specific terms, but for sure the weeds are unbelievers and the wheat is believers, and the parable underlines that the two are destined to be separated in eternity. Notice in this parable that while the word of the kingdom has come to all, the word is not accepted by all, and that judgment does not immediately come to the word of the kingdom's arrival. Similar to the parable of the sower, there are these parallel kingdoms at work for a little while. Thomas Schreiner notes, there is a messy and unexpected segment of time in which the kingdom of heaven coexists on earth with the kingdom of darkness. Then he goes on to say that the kingdom does not come with apocalyptic power and transform the world immediately. This distinction is important to make. It's important because just after the parable of the weeds, we get two parables about the growth and expansion of God's kingdom, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. In the parable of the mustard seed, we get to picture the small, seemingly inconsequential seed growing greater and larger than everything else in the garden. For context, a mustard seed would have been the smallest seed typically planted in Middle Eastern gardens. In the parable of the leaven, we see this yeast hidden in flat dough until it rises into a loaf. Just a small amount of yeast transforms the entire dough, and it does it from the inside out. Jesus talks a lot about the difference between outward response and inward transformation. God's kingdom will grow. That is his promise to us. It will be transformative and powerful. It will grow in size and numbers and will be large enough to provide rest to all who seek refuge in it. It might not have looked that way when Jesus told this parable, and it might not seem that way to us today. The seed might look small, the yeast might appear hidden and defective, but have faith and patience that God fulfills his promises and the fullness of his kingdom will come to fruition one day. But what grows will also grow in a way that brings about a new creation. Adding yeast to dough creates a new thing, a thing that cannot be reverted back to its initial state. I cannot bake yeast rolls in the oven and then go back to remove the yeast from them. It's not reversible. God's kingdom cannot be undone. Verses 44 through 46 tell two parables about the value and worth of attaining the kingdom of heaven. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a merchant seeking fine pearls, 
who have found one pearl of great price. He went and sold all he had and bought it. They speak of the joy that should come with gaining membership into the kingdom of heaven, the top priority that Jesus should hold in our lives, and the urgency with which we should pursue the kingdom. It's also important to note that the presence of both the hidden treasure and the great pearl are revealed to them and not seen by everybody else. Going back to Jesus' statements about having eyes to see and ears to hear. Look, following Jesus means abandoning our allegiances to this world. It's a hard sentence to hear. But as a Christian, we can hear that sentence with the assurance that the kingdom Jesus is king over is of infinitely greater value than anything we chase after on this earth. Next, the parable of the net seems to underline the same basic point as the parable of the weeds. Verses 47 through 50 are, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some fish of every kind, which when it was filled, they drew up on the beach. They sat down and gathered the good into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be in the end of the world. The angels will come forth and separate the wicked from among the righteous and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. Interestingly, the Greek words for every kind of fish used here, it literally means all races, nations, and families. A giveaway that we are talking about God's universal judgment and reign over all peoples. God gathers in people from all races, ethnicities, nations, and families, but when judgment comes, there are only two meaningful categories. Believers who are gathered, set aside, and saved, or unbelievers who are rejected and cast out. No man can escape judgment, but not all men will receive the same judgment. The difference, the distinguishing characteristic of those who are set aside and saved, rests in belief in who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross for you. The last parable in the chapter is the parable of the scribe or the parable of the homeowner. It's the parable told in verse 52. Every scribe who has been made a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a householder, who brings out of his treasure new and old things. As a disciple of Jesus, we can find value in all scripture. We can see that the Old Testament points to Jesus' coming and that the New Testament documents his arrival. Both old and new need to be studied and taught. We can also humbly rest in the fact that discipleship is not going to be over this side of eternity. The pages of scripture will always reveal more and more to us. You don't graduate past studying scripture. No matter how much of them you have memorized or how mature you feel your faith is, the Holy Spirit will always reveal new treasures as we read, meditate, and pray through God's word. Together, we see an image of two kingdoms that are populated based on a response to God's word. And for a little while, both kingdoms exist in parallel on this earth. The kingdom of darkness might even look larger and more promising. But, like the mustard seed, God's kingdom will grow and grow and eclipse everything else. This kingdom, and an eternal fellowship with God, is so valuable that it is worth dropping everything else to pursue and acquire. Those who aren't members of God's kingdom will be thrown out of the presence of God when judgment comes. 
I don't like reading the parables purely looking for like an application to our everyday lives. I think that too often that is what gets done and the parables become checklists that they weren't intended to be. That being said, over these parables we do get some real pointed and applicable themes. We can have patience and confidence and trust that God's kingdom will grow because God has promised that it will grow. We can see the value of placing God's kingdom first and the urgency behind assigning the number one priority in our lives to Jesus. We can acknowledge the fact that while we are currently living in a two-kingdom world where there is a kingdom of God and a competing kingdom of darkness, we can remember the kingdom of God has already won. The resounding echo of scripture is that our God wins. And finally, we should be reminded of the reality of judgment. There will come a time when the weeds and the good seed are separated for eternity, when the good fish are gathered up and the bad fish thrown out. One of the amazing things about these teachings are the seemingly opposing dichotomies at work. Jesus calls his followers to be patient because God's kingdom will grow and one day it will be fully consummated. But he also points his followers toward the urgency of turning from everything else to follow after Jesus, become kingdom members, and then tell others of the kingdom. Through the parables of Jesus, we continue to see this divide between those who understand Jesus and those who reject Jesus' teachings. We see the parables keep underlining the authority of Jesus in speaking, teaching, and knowing absolute truth. And we see the fulfillment theme of Matthew continued. Matthew 13 identifies Jesus as directly fulfilling the prophecies of Psalm 78 and the religious elite's responses as the fulfillment of Isaiah 6. But the fulfillment theme is also present in the simple point that Jesus is the one who ushers in the kingdom of heaven. He can reveal the mysteries about the kingdom because he is its king. I love the main idea that David Platt presents for Matthew 13. In his Christ-centered exposition of Matthew, Platt says, Jesus' parables tell of a kingdom that despite being unrecognized and rejected by some, is already accomplishing its purpose in the world, and it will one day be gloriously consummated, resulting in eternal judgment for those who reject the gospel and eternal life for those who genuinely trust in Christ and treasure his reward. Thank you for listening. Next episode, we'll finish up chapter 13 and get going on chapter 14. If you're not already doing so, please follow us on the From Hevel to Eternity Facebook group to keep up to date on all my latest podcasts, videos, and blog posts. If you're interested in supporting this effort, please consider joining one of our exclusive membership tiers on Patreon. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses were from the World English Bible Translation, which is public domain. Until next time, I love y'all.